G'day, Matt. Good day, sir. How you doing? Not too bad. It's a holiday here for me, so I'm nice and relaxed. That's nice. Been, What's been the holiday? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's something. <laughs> uh, so hold on. It's Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. It's kind of nice having a mid midweek uh, holiday. I imagine everyone's going to go and take Friday off. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same next week too. Um, I, I mean this is probably confusing for all our fans who are listening because we're going to be releasing this the day after Canada Day, but we're <laughs> recording a week and a day before Canada Day. But next Thursday is also Canada Day, so I, I get two Thursday holidays in a row. That's, I mean, short weeks are nice, right? Yeah. Nail it, nail it. Yeah, you know, cool. I, I I'd be happy if it was like Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday was like a weekend day and then thursday friday like i i enjoy having a little bit of break to to decompress and think about stuff in the middle of work instead of just having to grind through five days straight it's like a uh like a higher level uh siesta or something in a way yeah a little bit across the week yeah so would you do uh like four 10-hour days where those those days are monday tuesday thursday friday yeah would you yeah, opt not. for that instead of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Probably. Really? I mean, it's easier to say yes when you're not thinking about kids. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It's always a, a frustrating back in the pre-pandemic days where it's like you spend an hour commuting uh, and you've also got to deal with getting a kid to and from school. Uh if, if you're suddenly working two extra hours, you're not really going to get a chance to see your family. Yeah. Unless you're one of those crazy people that wakes up really early or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those crazy people. I kind of sort of am. I've, I've been uh, enjoying waking up and starting my work days at seven. Seven is okay. Like I like starting my day early, but yeah. I don't stay like, I don't start my work day early. Um, I get up and take care of those other things or I try to, I'm kind of talking out of my ass, but, uh, uh, ideally I'd be exercising and kind of doing some hobbies and then getting into my work day. Yeah. 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 I used to do that, uh, several years back. I, the, I mean, that's part of the advantage of working in, I guess the tech industry. I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but film and games tend to have like core hours where as long as you're working between 10 and four, they don't really care whether you start your day before that or after that. In my experience, I don't even have core hours. Generally, if you are suddenly going to be working from like 5 p.m. until whatever, sometime in the middle of the night every day, mm. you know, maybe, maybe that's okay, but you should probably get that kind of thing okayed by your manager. But for the most part, if you're kind of jumping in and out of work or you want to work really early and then really late or something, you can just do that without asking. Um, right. and that's kind of been the case at most companies I've worked at, uh, which has been nice. Definitely. Definitely nice. Um, mm. uh, I can't imagine like a hard set nine to five, especially with, with kids and with any sort of hobby of any sort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of just, uh, it's taken me back to all the, all the times I've had wonky work schedules around the world it's it's kind of been like that for me regardless of jurisdiction i guess it's it's an industry behavior because i i kind of had flexible hours in eastern canada western canada and uh australia jurisdiction 
yeah. I mean, I've worked three different jobs since graduating, and I did internships at a lot of different companies. I've found in like more junior positions, it's a little more constrained, which is not enormously surprising. But like as an intern at some uh, technical companies in Canada, it was generally more like, you know, be here by whatever time, be out of here by whatever time. But it was very easy to observe the more senior employees being flexible. So you could see that that path was there, I guess. Mm. I don't know. I, 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 I like that openness, of course. I mean, um, I, I have worked in Japan where it's not like yeah. that. <laughs> I was just going to say, I imagine the work hours weren't so flexible there. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I mean, Japan's kind of famous for being like a, a clock in, clock out, even for uh, uh, like positions that are generally salaried and, and there's kind of none of that mentality even uh, in, in maybe like in the West or whatever. So uh, it was it's it's interesting, <laughs> I'll say, going to this technical, comparatively high-level um job that you need to be very qualified for that in in all of your other experience has been very flexible and seeing it right. more of like a, a clock in clock out thing um yeah I, I i i've read about um doesn't japan have something called like a discretionary labor system or is, is that a term i'm making up i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, well i disclaimer i'm not any expert of any sorts i mean, right. what I might know what you're talking about if you tell me what that is. It's it's like it's like they they give salary employees like an eight hour day, quote unquote, and and you don't get overtime if you work more than that. And they basically it's I, it's at your discretion to just work as many hours as you need to do to get the work done. I do know what you're talking about. I think they often have these systems in place where they basically say here's your salary, and it's assumed you will probably need to work some amount of overtime, and so the yeah. salary covers that. Um, yeah. and so it's kind of like, I mean, that's the language, but ultimately it's basically, it's basically a salary. Um, but right. I, I think again, I, I, I never want to be like, <laughs> I'm always very scared of being, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that white guy that knows everything about your country. <laughs> and so like, it's, it, don't, this is just my, my feel, but like people, I don't know, Japan has a lot of unwritten rules. Um, and so it doesn't really matter what the laws are. For the most yeah. part, like people just behave in a certain way, and that's kind of the, the societal norm. And so, like at work, no matter what the law says, like you know, you you stay, you're part of that team. The yeah. team works hard. The the manage the boss is working hard, so you stay. And so, if you're if you're paid by the hour, if you're under some sort of salary uh, system like that, um, it doesn't really change anything. And yeah. it's kind of something. I mean, you read about it all the time if you go reading, but like I've seen it. I've talked to people who've been through it. It's just it's just how it is and so um <laughs> i don't know it's it's interesting that that combines itself with this kind of clock in clock out system like at the at the company i did an internship um just before i graduated at uh it was basically like you got a salary and you clocked in clocked out and you were paid overtime and overtime was whatever rate right um yeah. and the thing is everyone just did that like it was just assumed you would show up at nine and you would leave at some point after nine and mm -hmm. so like that was in a way it's like if your salary is x on paper really it's x times 1.5 because it's just assumed you're going to stay that extra time and since they announced they pay over time like the real salary is just higher but you're kind of actually expected to stay later right right um and it's it's interesting uh that was right in the middle of i don't even remember what that there's probably a name for that big economic uh, uh, like depression the, mini the depression or whatever that happened period or yeah exactly it was around then and so 
um, like all these companies were in crisis mode and taking all these measures. And so the measure that the company I was working at took was to announce that no one was allowed to do any overtime anymore. Hmm. Uh, and so what happened was that's effectively like a huge salary cut for everybody, right? Yeah. But I mean, the laws say as a company, you're not allowed to force people. And so people would clock out and go home. But when you talk to people, they clock out and go home and then work from home. Like they take work home, <laughs> which is like the company isn't saying do this. Yeah. But that's the unwritten rule where it's like, that's what everyone's doing. And you can't be that one person not doing that. So you have to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So effectively, it was just a huge salary cut for everybody. That, that's that's something that I've I've had to uh, fight the urge to do, I guess, throughout my career is work unpaid overtime because it's like because i'm in the arts industry like i i'm i'm passionate about what i'm doing like i mm -hmm. when i'm doing visual effects artwork i want it to be good i don't want to have to release something that wasn't as good as i could make it yep and so it's like you know there's only so many hours in a day and so many days before a game has to be out the door uh so there, there have definitely been times where it's like I have to resist that urge. I think particularly now that I'm a senior because I don't want it to be normalized as something that everyone starts doing. How, in your opinion, does that compare to, say, a salaried position? Where it's Well, like... I, I mean, that that's what I'm talking about, I guess, is is as a salaried employee. So, you, okay, um, yeah, you're a salaried. But, I mean, you've been in many positions where you yeah. were not, which I think yeah. is what you're referring to, right? Or are you referring to, net, like, even now as a salaried person? If if I if I was ever an hourly employee, like I got paid overtime, um, so and, you would you wouldn't. So I, I, I welcomed the overtime <laughs> because I got paid for yeah. it. Yeah, uh, which is why you know on on some projects I worked as many as ninety six hours in a week because you know I got bank for doing that. Yeah, uh, as a salaried employee, I, you know there's no overtime. Yeah, so I feel like it's against everyone's best interests for me to do 41 hours because then like that just encourages my coworkers to try to keep up with the extra work I'm doing. That's interesting. I, I totally, I mean, if I look at the salaried positions I've had and I was just talking about how flexible they are and how great that is, but like, I'm yeah. pretty sure when you total up all the hours, it's very high, right? Like it yeah. actually exceeds 40 and that's, normalized people have yeah. all these high expectations it's this you know, blah 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 cutthroat competitive it's not really competitive it's like cooperatively competitive if that yeah, makes yeah, sense yeah, like yeah. we all have to do this great job let's all nail it we're not really yeah uh, you know it's there's probably an analog to that in any industry or many industries yours included um but uh i don't know i don't i don't know that i guess to what you're saying like you don't want to set that example and force everyone into it it's yeah. kind of like when that example is set for the whole industry, it's really it's really hard like as one person to have any impact. But you're at I understand you're at a smaller company. Sorry, yeah, I'm afraid yeah. to put words in your mouth or tell your own story. Just for me, I guess, really quick, like at the bigger at bigger companies. I don't know. It's like even if we all kind of decided we'd all hold hands together and work thirty five hours every day and yeah, yeah. every week, there'd be like that one or two people who are like super passionate and want to do more. And then I think they people would just slowly get pulled into that. It's like psychologically Yeah. It's it's hard when like you see a coworker who is apparently very productive, and I think a lot of people in uh, at least in the games and film have uh, imposter syndrome where they they feel as though they don't belong and they're not doing a good enough job. So when you have a coworker that you see that they're like a workhorse, you're like, oh man, 
I need to, I need to keep up with them. I need to do that too. Yeah. Um, and you may not necessarily see that they are the kind of obsessive workaholic that's putting in a 60 hour week instead of a 40 hour week. And you just think you need to keep up with that. And so you start doing a 50 hour week or something. Right. Um, and it's, it's like a cascade effect where everyone starts seeing that the person next to them is doing that. It's, it's particularly obvious, I think, with art because like you have like shots that you're doing. It's not like an abstract amount of code that's being done behind the scenes. It's like you have like X number of shots in a film or X number of effects that you're working on or something. I mean, having gone through like uh, the hoops on the tech industry side... I don't know. I think there might be more analogs than you might think, like in terms of Maybe. just code volume, even um, people review everyone else's code. There's like an amount of right. feature work you get in. There's like an amount of tasks you clear out. Like I could, I could, if I wanted to name drop specific people who like to me are just robots and <laughs> right. work 70 hour weeks and are just unstoppable. And it's very, very easy to uh, quantifiably measure their contribution at a higher level than their peers and so uh, yeah. i've worked directly with people like that like i'm like literally me and another person are the whole team and the other person is that that guy right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's weird because i i struggled obviously in that period because I, you know i wanted to do well i wanted a promotion i didn't want to uh, uh disappoint people etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's kind of what the status quo was for the one other person on my team and so i was faced with either doing the same thing or making the conscious choice to not do that and to contribute less and have that just be my, my contribution. Yeah. Um, and I, I find that that is really hard for a lot of reasons, especially in that circumstance. Cause when it's the one thing you're working on, like at the end of the period, when it's time to report on that and the mm -hmm. other person has done two thirds of the work, it's, it's just a weird thing to kind of say, this was my project that I also was 50% of, but not really. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, so I don't, I don't know. My, my perspective comes from like trying to minimize that because like, like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm at a company right now where there's, it's, it's a small indie studio. And as a senior person, I feel like anyone who is not a senior is going to kind of see what I'm doing and think that that's what's necessary. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I try to make a good example in like staying focused and being productive during work hours for that reason. And then also like trying to maintain that life balance. But it is actually something that's tricky because I, I, like I said, when I am working on something, I don't want to under deliver. I want it to be the best it can. Like I'm, I'm a very do it yourself kind of person where I enjoy solving puzzles and, and, and doing the best that I can at stuff, which I, I think I, kind of touched on that last week just by saying that like i've been building furniture yeah uh, like like that's that's any any time that i've moved around the world uh, australia vancouver san francisco etc when i get new furniture that's what i do is typically i'll go to ikea and buy the the stuff that you build it yourself as opposed to like buying something pre-made um which which is kind of segueing into into what we were planning on talking to today, about today with like the, the do-it-yourself aspect i guess of uh yeah even repairing your own stuff <laughs> like i i sense that you're kind of the same way like maybe not so much with furniture but like i remember back when i was in 
high school, my Nintendo broke. And to me, it was just like, well, that's done. I guess I don't have a Nintendo anymore. And I remember telling you about it and you were like, oh no, bring it over. I can do something about that. And voila. And voila. (laughs) Um, I have probably a mixed, uh, I guess, answer, answer, view on that. It's like, (laughs) I like things to be pretty and high quality, etc. And so if I'm confident that I can do it better than what's out there, Mm. I will probably take it upon myself to do the those things, if you will. Like, I'm struggling for an example, but like that's where maybe like furniture. Like, you buy some really nice wooden furniture from some store. Like, I couldn't do that. That's better than what I yeah. can do myself. Yeah. So I mean, like, it's not fair for me to say I'm building furniture because it's not like it's not like I have a wood shop and I'm like. <laughs> I do know people who do that. Yeah, and yeah, make beautiful and, things. Yeah, I, I have a relative that does that, and and he makes oh, gorgeous stuff. And it's kind of the same way where you're like, I could do better than that. And then you do. Uh, I, I guess I kind of am seeing it the same way when I'm building stuff because it's just like I don't necessarily care about how good the quality of the chair is. I'm just like, I could do that. And then I buy a kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I'm struggling for an example here. I guess, like, even like. Do you cook? I used to. I don't cook so much anymore. It's like. Do you ever, I, I've, I've actually done this exercise again and again and again because I'm a crazy person. Maybe the way you keep lists with games mm-hmm. and stuff, I keep lists with like what I want to do in my life or, or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. But like I always have these like hobby lists or like the things I'd love to do, you know, yeah. make a website, start an online journal, uh, do this podcast, uh, play these video games, draw more, uh, uh, watch more movies, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, make a game, work on a game on the side, design a game, whatever. And it's like, at some point, you just have to draw a line because there's no time. Yeah. And cooking is one of those things. Like, if I was retiring today, I would probably get back into cooking and start like a roof, like a, a, a balcony garden, like an herb garden or something. And neither of those are enormous time sucks, I think, but it's almost like the... It's the, surprising how much time does go into those. Very possibly. Like, I, I almost like, think like, like just the fact that you need to water the plants regularly. Well, for me, it's like the mental load. Like that's another thing on my list every day that I would need to remember to do. And at some point, right. the list of things I need to remember to do gets so high that it's no longer fun. It's almost stressful, right? And so like right. if I had a simpler life, I'd enjoy watering the plants every day. But when I wake up and my to-do list is 20 items, it's like death by a thousand cuts starts to happen a little bit. And so I start to say, well, I don't want these plants anymore. I don't. I'm not going to do this anymore. And so cooking is is just below the line. <laughs> mm. But the interest is there. And I, I used to. I used to like make, I don't know, tabbouleh and, and interesting things. That could for, find for, for me, it's not. Uh, it's it's I don't know. I, I guess I kind of have a low level interest in it. But it's like if I'm by myself, I, I will tend to just go for something that's like a box of macaroni and cheese or right. pizza pops, Pillsbury pizza pops. If, you, if yeah. they want to sponsor our podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I would send me some pizza pops. I will talk about pizza pops all day. I'm not even a pizza person at all. I'm not even really a junk food person, but pizza yeah, yeah. pops. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but it's like, I don't know, for some reason when I have a family, I, I feel like that stuff's not as nutritious or tasty as it could be as, as I could could make a meal so it's like i have a little bit of that do-it-yourself thing come out and, and want to actually make a meal yeah right on i i i think i i'm realizing what it is for me it's like i love doing it myself when i'm confident in the quality i can produce but part yeah. of that is like um 
I guess with items around the house, I'm just really almost obsessive about having them be as, I guess, beautiful as possible. Um, like, I mean, when the original Xbox came out, I remember thinking I'd never buy this and put it in my living room. <laughs> it's going to ruin the ambience of the whole house. This ugly ass black box with a green circle. On. I don't care how good it is, powerful it is. I'd have to hide it under something. Like, I just couldn't handle it. Like, there's, there's something there, like the aesthetics of things. And so when it comes to, like, hacking and fixing and whatever, like, I'd happily um, do that inside of something, if you will. Like, yeah. I remember we bought this chip um, online one time. I mean, these things are, and this is probably like, there's people who could hear me say this and it's like baby stuff, but it was this chip that would convert a Super Nintendo controller to be like a USB controller. Right. It came with a set of instructions. And so like, you know, you get a normal USB controller, you open it up, you, you cut off the actual cord and you, right. you string this USB cord in and you put this chip inside and then you solder all these wires up and whatever. And it was actually really fun to do that. And it worked and that felt great. No big deal. Just a little soldering project, but that kind of thing. Cause then, you know, you might make a mess or it's not like the highest quality job or whatever but it works. And then you close yeah. the controller and it's effectively beautiful again. Right. Um, whereas like your furniture example to me, that's if I was good at making furniture, I would love to do that. Uh, where I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be happy with the aesthetics of the final product. Yeah. 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 That's where yeah, fixing like, things is, is fun. I think, cause there's more of a, like you're restoring it back to the, the beauty uh, that someone was able to create, if you will, for those, for certain things. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. It's, it's funny you mentioned the Xbox and how ugly that was like, cause I remember, uh, last year the playstation 5 was announced and holy cow did people have uh, an opinion on the appearance of that console i like, don't know if, is, has playstation ever been pretty really <laughs> um i've i've never minded them really? um i don't i couldn't even tell you what a ps4 looks like but um, i have one in front of me and it's not pretty but man like people were losing their minds over the ps5 like comparing it to like a, a a router or an oscillating fan or something. Um, <laughs> no, and I, it, and I find that kind of extra amusing now because it's, it's like it's on track to be the the fastest selling console Sony's released. So in the end, people don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> or like some group of people don't care. I mean, I'm looking at it now. I don't think it's particularly appealing, but I don't think it's the ugliest thing. I mean, come on, it's no, it's no Xbox. <laughs> xbox one uh, or yeah wait, sorry original yeah, xbox not xbox original one. xbox yeah. uh, um you have to retcon the naming of things nowadays sorry there's my my uh, hourly phone alarm yeah i mean it's weird because i feel like in this age of minimalism you have things that are like i guess to most people unequivocally beautiful like every iteration of the iphone or anything apple grazes its magic touch with but then you look at like game systems and it's like they're kind of they have to somehow appeal to that crowd and appeal to people that just want power, right? Like big, give me this awesome looking gaming machine. And so like finding the balance between those aesthetics seems like a, a, a lost cause almost, which is why you get things like the PlayStation 5, which looks, I think, given those those as the constraints, like, I don't know, it looks fine to me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess I can kind of understand the, the whole perspective much more concisely when you when you talk about like being able to do something better than the available option yeah um one thing that's coming to mind uh, is the the nintendo classic minis yeah there's there are tons of people who 3d print their own nintendo classic minis and there's something about 3d printing that i absolutely hate like because you can always see the resolution of the printer. You can always see these lines going across it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and so I I don't I don't know how many years it'll be before th- there's in my opinion good technology for that but I feel like I would be totally happy to design my own stuff like I I do 3D stuff for a living like I could easily make the 3D models but I will never use a 3D printer in its current state because of how atrocious I think the end result looks the end product Yeah I I mean I I totally agree it's even like I don't know like I have a bookshelf of art books and I one time not intentionally but I bought like a bootleg art book which I didn't mm. think was bootleg and when it arrived it very clearly was um yeah. from the artist I like and like you can just see the the the, the deep the dpi quality in the ink. dpi quality is terrible even like just something about the way the whole package is put together like it's a two book set and the spine yeah. is exactly the same for both books and so you can't tell it's almost like sometimes in two book sets they have one image that is kind of across yeah, the yeah, back yeah. spine of both books and you line yeah, them up and they form the image this it's like there was an opportunity to do that and instead it's the same image just and they don't line up and it looks awful and like the quality sucks just everything and so like I'm so disgusted with it. I don't even want to put it on my beautiful art bookshelf. I just throw it in the closet. <laughs> like, it's just so ugly. And it yeah. stinks, too. I don't know why it's the paper they use. <laughs> Everything about it. But, like, like I don't know. that that Like, getting that aesthetic presentation correct, to me, is very important. I think a lot of, maybe a lot of people don't see it that way. But, yeah. I think we had a, a topic um, on the back burner at some point for like how to hide wires or something. I don't know if we could stretch that into a whole uh, whole discussion, but like it's part of this discussion really, right? Like kind having, of. having your space. Yeah. I, there's, I guess you could go into the techniques and, and all these things, but like the whole reason you would even want to hide wires, I guess, yeah. is like well, pre- getting your space to be aesthetically presentable. Partially. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's like the advantage, I guess, of the, the homeowner is you get to drill holes in walls and like yeah. have cables running through them and stuff. Like for me, Right now, um, my kid has been really interested in doing streaming. Uh, mm-hmm. So we stream together on Twitch. I was doing that just before uh, recording. Um, and so like my computer is, I don't know, something like 10 meters. Uh, I don't know what that is in American units away from my TV. Like it's in a, it's in a different room. You go down the hall feet. slightly. Um, so I have a massive HDMI cable that runs from my computer where I'm recording the stream to the PlayStation in our living room. And then I've also got a giant microphone cable also going from our sofa (laughs) into my computer to record the audio as we're both talking. So that's like the presentation sort of thing where it's like, I, I kind of wish it was more attractive. I, I, it's a kind of annoying to have to like bundle up those cables every day because obviously I don't want to trip on them, but (laughs) yeah. Um, I'm also uh, uh, not not uh, hoity-toity enough, I guess, to 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 Bother. come up with a to come up with a solution that doesn't involve cables going all the way through the apartment. Yeah, I mean, it's an investment too, right? Like you could invest a bunch of time and then decide to move, and it's like, yeah, well, okay, right? Which is, I mean, you mentioned like that's an advantage for homeowners. I've found when I've owned a home. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Like owning a home in, in a way is not, is not like, I mean, much maybe different. for some people it's like this grand thing for me, it wasn't that much different usually. And that's partially because I don't know, I guess I'm a weirdo again, but like, I'm always thinking of the next move. Like, yeah. even if it's like, like this is a common thing now to buy a starter home, which is crazy. Yeah. Like just the thing is no one can afford a real home for your family. So you buy a starter home, which is a home that's too small for your family with the idea that 
someday when you're older, you can sell this one because it'll be worth so much and you're on the money train and you can move to your bigger house, right? And so, like, that's a really real thing, I think. And plus the nature of our industry is, like, even when you're owning, are you really, like, you, you could might be selling in five years. You have no idea. Yeah. Or, or, you know, maybe 10 years. I don't know. And so, like, I guess once you've really bought this home sweet home that you're obsessed with staying in forever, if that's a thing that really exists for you personally, then all, everything you're talking about applies. But for me, when I've owned, I've been hesitant to do anything because I, I, I don't know what the future holds. And so it's yeah. the same in the end, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm finding it weird. I mean, as, especially with our podcast being named the Vagabond uh, <laughs> podcast, I guess you've moved a few times. I, I've only moved once since we started the podcast. So it, it feels re- really weird that I'm now living in this place for the most time I've ever lived anywhere. Uh, let me see. I've lived one, two. This is the, I've moved three times since we started. Um, and we have another move at some point for sure. Cause this isn't like the forever house or anything um <laughs> uh which is interesting again like we it's basically a two-bedroom um we have two kids they're different genders it just like realistically be nice to have them in their own rooms this this apartment yeah. doesn't give us that um this is like the starter home as a rental right? the, the starter rental <laughs> the starter rental yeah even though it's it's my like it's like whatever. number 18 or something. yeah 20 or 30 or something um yeah <laughs> anyway it, you ne- you can never quite get what you want is is kind of the yeah. thing there i had another point to make about cables and i can't remember what it was hiding them hiding them the aesthetics of them uh, That's a, the, oh, I, I remember the point okay. i remember the point uh it's kind of a digression, but it's just an interesting anecdote. And again, I don't. I, this is just this company I worked at in Japan. This isn't some white guy that knows everything about your country. But um, in Japan, it's very uh, uh, like cleanliness is a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, I'd say definitely compared to here, like frowned upon to have like a messy yeah. workspace or people space or anything like that. And so, like one thing I noticed at all the companies I've worked at is like it's very, people are very uh, uh, I don't want to say obsessive. Uh, effectively very invested in having the workspace clean at the end of some period, be it like daily or weekly or whatever. Right. Mm. Um, and so like we were working in a lab, like, you know, soldering circuit boards and, and doing all these tests and stuff. And we had a policy that we had to clean everything up on Wednesdays, like Wednesdays, they would come and inspect the lab and it had to be like spotless, super pretty, nice, perfect. And it was so stupid to me because it's like you would put everything away late Wednesday they would come and do the inspection. And then when you come in the morning, Thursday, you just pull it all back out. Yeah. And I think as far as aesthetics of a space go, like finding a way that everything's very accessible and you don't have to do that. Like at some level, like a workspace is a workspace. And I think that's okay. Like if I had a soldering station in my house, I think we could say, okay, that, that square area of my house is the workspace. And it's okay if there's like soldering bits everywhere and and whatever. Right. Um, because you need to be able to step into the workspace, grab all your tools and just go, 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 and then be able to page out similarly quickly, right? Um, and so like your cable example, it sounds like you do the streaming and then you have to pull all the cables back at yeah. the end of the session, right? Like I get why that's so unideal, like to be able to have something where it's like you don't have that friction between starting and stopping, I think is important for like a really effective space. Yep, yep. Um, I mean, I, I actually went out of my way to learn like the proper way to coil cables to make it so that like I can put everything out nice and quickly without any sort of tangles to worry about and then fold everything back in nice and quick too. It's like, there's, there's like an overhand underhand method that like musicians use for all their cables. Cause you, you, you have to do that every night. Yep. Uh, and yep. if you're, 
it's so easy if you do it wrong that you're you start like just twisting the cables around and like breaking them and getting them knotted up and stuff i was gonna say you probably get pretty good at it pretty quick yeah <laughs> yeah i that's interesting actually you bring up the musician um angle like there's gonna be i guess jobs or, or times where it's not even feasible uh to have like the perfect working space like if you're a traveling musician or whatever right yeah. you're, you're, you're in, in a almost like an arbitrary workspace that you can't decide at all these different times yeah so it's almost like more about getting the the method down correctly i guess yep yeah it's it's, it's got to be I think that's the thing that I would hate the most about being a musician is having to work in those live environments where there's like each venue has its own sound crew. Yeah, that'd be and awful. You just have to put your night in their hands and trust that they're not going to mess it up. You've heard the, uh, I forget the band, the Eminem thing. Yeah, yeah, that was Van Halen. Van Halen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I feel like it's necessary to expand on that for, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, there's sorry yeah go ahead please do well well, it was uh so van halen was one of those big bands that had like huge pyrotechnic displays and stuff that was going on like they were just you needed an unreal amount of electricity for their shows and the problem was is that if that stuff's not set up correctly it can be dangerous like there have been shows that um caught on fire and and like musicians have died and and stuff and so like they had this huge like 200 page document like explaining um all the stuff that needed to be done for their for their stage setup so that it was all done correctly and in the middle of one of those documents they had a a writer in there saying like we want a bowl of brown m&ms in our dressing room and so like there's so many of these like stories that go around say oh man ben halen was so vain they they wanted these uh m&ms and they would totally cancel the show if they didn't get their m&ms and like the reason that they had that was that they knew if they had a bowl of m&ms sitting in their waiting room that someone had actually read the document yep and then they also knew that if that bowl of brown m&ms wasn't there that they very well could be risking their lives and they would just cancel the show. Yep. For what it's worth, I, I believe it's the opposite. They wanted the brown M&Ms removed. So it it might have been. It might yeah. have been. But it's whatever, a, right? Yeah. 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 The, yep. You know, I may have just been responsible for, for canceling a show right there. <laughs> Is Van Halen doing a show? No, but, you know, I'm not either, so. <laughs> <laughs> um there's a people have taken this analog in the tech industry anyway, where they, they try and do that now. It's, it's I don't know, kind of frowned upon, but like, you know, you have this like big list of, of requirements for some doc and you slip in something that's probably a little more useful than that, but it is obviously forgettable and everything will still work. And it, the point is to make sure everyone does like has read everything and seen everything. There's this like kind of like analog to try and fit in, that into like proposals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is amusing. To me, it's amusing. Have you? Have you? Um, so, I mean, taking it back though to, to the the Nintendo of mine that you repaired, like I, I've I've not done much stuff along that lines. Um, I've been pretty lazy. Like I I've I've built my own furniture from IKEA when we go places. I tried uh, to to refinish an electric guitar once, 
uh, I was too lazy to to buy any sort of power tools. I also lived in an apartment, so power tools didn't make sense. But yeah. um, I learned very quickly that sanding a guitar by hand uh, sucks. Uh, and so I haven't really done any other do-it-yourself sort of stuff. Like I my my shoulder buttons on my Nintendo DS broke at one point. Um, and so I, I made the effort of fixing those, which, you know, you have to buy the tri-wing yep. screwdriver to get into Nintendo hardware. And then it was basically just like, take the button out, take the little rubber washer out, bend it a little bit, put it back in, and it was perfectly good again. Um, yep. Um, I, I, do, do you find yourself still doing any sort of stuff like that? or? Yes. I mean... Uh... Like when you say I fixed your Nintendo, it might be a little bit of a stretch. I really just bent the prongs back so the contacts but, uh, contacted better. It's it's the same sort of thing though, right? Like fixing these buttons was totally nothing when you know what you're doing. But to an outsider who has never opened up a controller, if you're like, oh yeah, I've, I, I totally just fixed my broken DS. <laughs> they're like, oh man, that's amazing. And, and that was the same for me. Like to me, my Nintendo was broken. And then you fixed it. Yeah, right. The black and box. And then I sold it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I still do kind of a lot of um, minor, minor hands-on stuff. I mean, I think for like, especially like the retro game collector, there's a lot of uh, breakages and such you have to handle. Um, I have those same screw heads, so I've replaced tons of batteries in games. Sometimes you get this game that's like filthy or corroded and you can open it and then you take the the circuit board and like wipe it down really well like where the contacts are and it's really hard to do when it's in its plastic cassette covering Mm. um so definitely done a lot of that um uh i've i find what i do a lot of and it's because i collect so much stuff and have so much hardware is like i almost like build franken stuff franken controllers if you will so Mm. like i'll have a controller whose l button is broken and i'll have a controller who's like uh maybe like the the XYAB, I'm thinking of Super Nintendo, but like the XYAB yeah. is, is not really working so well. So you can take both apart, take the good controllers, take everything yeah. from the good controller except its its L button isn't working so well. So take the L button padding from the the other controller, and now mm. like the the best parts from multiple controllers. Now you have a controller that works great. Yeah. Um, so that's a fairly common thing to do. Another thing I do um, is uh, uh, like for controllers, I've I've made buttons work better by like opening them and like respacing them a little it's hard to explain but like you almost like paste a couple like a folded piece of paper and it's just enough like it, it bumps the plastic button up a little higher and so yeah. it's a tighter contact there and the feel is better like weird stuff like that i've definitely done a bunch of um the franking controllers are great though because when you have like 50 controllers and you just take the best parts of a bunch of them it, it works great right and i've done i've i've also done like like everyone's seen super nintendos that are like yellow and look terrible right mm. um i've had Systems like that that look terrible but work amazing, just perfect, great, fantastic. And then I've had like beautiful systems that are broken. And so like take the beautiful shell and put it on the perfectly working one. And now you have a beautiful looking Super Nintendo that works great. Um, a lot of this is just vanity stuff, but going back to like making sure things are aesthetically ple- pleasing, there's there's that uh, approach I've definitely taken. I have an interesting one, actually. I bought an Atari from like the junk store mm-hmm. in my hometown. And I remember if you shook it, it, you could hear it almost sounded like like a like, you know, when you buy a puzzle or something and you shake the box, like there's something in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, OK, whatever. So I took it home and it didn't work. And I thought, OK, it's probably broken, whatever. And I forget if I didn't have the screws or what, but clearly some there was like some wires not connected or something. 
Did I tell the story to you before? No. Okay, well, I was like, all right, whatever, I'll look at it someday. And I forgot about it for a long time. I remember the Atari was in storage for literally like a year. Anyway, finally, I decided I would look into this and I'd pull it out and I had the everything I needed. So I opened it, this non-working Atari that I could never get to work. And it was full of dead termites. Lovely. It was the weirdest thing. Like, it was so disgusting. I, I had no idea the whole time that that's what that was. And I open it, and it's just full of dead termites. Like, what in the hell? Why would What would a termite even seek inside of an Atari? What would be in an Atari that would attract that many termites? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe there's some. Laid eggs or something. Yeah, or, or like, I don't know. Maybe there's a scent that attracts them, and then they get in there, and they can't get out, and there's nothing to eat. I don't know. Anyway. Some type of glue or something. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I dumped them all out and I put it back together and it worked great. <laughs> so <laughs> I expect it probably wasn't the termites. Like maybe opening it and closing it, like fixed some contact or something. But I mean, it, I like, it, I like it, to yeah. think it was. I mean, they could have been, there could have been one causing a short or something. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Like just kind of stuck on some contact. Um, anyway, it, it never hurts to uh, to just take stuff that's not working apart and, yeah. and look and poke around. Um, oh, oh, another thing. I think everyone's done this or a lot of people have um, on the old Nintendo uh back in like the 80s and 90s back in our youth uh no one knew anything and so like you had the flickering screen on your nintendo and you're like mm -hmm. screaming and throwing the controllers trying to get the games to work in the age of the internet um people figured out how to disable the lockout chip right mm. uh, it was really easy to do so are you aware of the lockout chip i know that it exists but i don't really remember the details of it like it was, actually... it, was it was like to prevent the uh the pirated um or yeah. sorry not 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 pirated per se, but unofficially licensed. Yeah. Um, it needed to communicate with another chip. So Nintendo needed to provide you with a chip that you would yeah. put on your cartridge. And then this chip on the system needed to communicate with that chip to produce a specific signal that it checked for. Mm -hmm. And the signal would be noisy. And so because like as the system gets older, the contacts don't work as well. And when the, mm -hmm. when the signal is noisy, because it was a very analog check it was doing, it was checking for some voltage level or something. I actually don't remember myself, but... As the system get older, the check would fail even when it's a legit game, just because like this, it, it returns the right signal, but really noisy or something. So mm -hmm. you could disable this by actually opening. I forget if you cut a contact. I think you cut it. I don't think you soldered one, but you, you basically cut a contact right on the board. And so I've I've done that. It's like the easiest operation ever. But you open the system and you cut the contact. I think you cut it, and then that's it. All of a sudden, the lockout chip always reports like success hmm. <laughs> so um when games fail it's just a straight black screen you never ever get that flashing thing anymore ever which is great because i remember i'd be playing like whatever dragon warrior 3 mm. and the thing was so damn sensitive like it would erase your game because you like wriggle like you you were walking and you bumped into the cartridge and so it was terrifying every time you put the game in and get that flashing screen and i'm like oh my god is it yeah. erasing my game and so yeah, yeah that, that was like the biggest reason i stopped playing the old nintendo games was just because of that sort of thing like i was always a fan of the rpg so trying to play yep. the dragon quest and then you get like 15 hours in and then you, the next time you turn it off it's like awesome awesome it's like almost like if you play the game on nothing but emulators you never get to hear that noise that, that, that music that will never play for you it's like it needs to be triggered through actual real life faulty hardware yeah yeah um, and then yeah. it triggers you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, my, my original battery in my original Zelda cartridge still works. I confirmed this last year. Nice. Never replaced. I can't even... The, they have a life, a, a spec lifespan of five years. Nice. The thing is like 30-some years old. So, And it certainly has been played 
to completion multiple times by multiple people even so i yeah yeah it's just a wonder battery i guess i don't know i i had to just replace the the scale on our uh, kitchen scale or sorry the battery on our kitchen scale this morning so there you go that kitchen scale is not big, that thing's uh, not nearly as old as zelda <laughs> power user well yeah. you save a zelda game and it's like what like three bytes of information or something yeah um i guess like the battery the point of the battery is to keep the the capacitor alive or whatever to keep so there should there should be a constant drain kind of surprised um it's a huge digression but it's really interesting i have a pc engine mm-hmm. uh turbo graphics 16 if you will mm-hmm. and i've seen all kinds of different save schemes like playstation had memory cards xbox and on had like onboard memory older games save right to the cartridge um sega saturn had a battery you load into the system and then you save games to the system yeah etc etc dreamcast with this crazy thing this thing doesn't have an onboard battery it has a giant capacitor that like charges and then slowly like it saves everything in memory and it slowly it acts as a battery essentially by slowly mm-hmm. discharging and so if you just keep the thing plugged in it'll be like ideally functioning forever but if you unplug it and put it in storage or something eventually it'll die and that you lose everything <laughs> and so when yeah. you buy these things first thing you do is plug it in and leave it in for a while to charge up its capacitor and then you're good and so hmm. I was trying to play Snatcher and I couldn't save my game. And so my solution to this was just to like try again a few days later and then I could save my game. And <laughs> that's it. It's the weirdest save scheme I've I've seen. But anyway, it wor- it seems to work. So Wow. Yeah, I I was I I I want to fix the battery at some point in my GameCube. Um because GameCube's now at the point where like the the CMOS battery yeah. that keeps the date uh it died on mine uh i played through twilight princess i don't remember if it was last year or the year before um and that was a huge annoyance is every single time i turned on the system i had to set its date that's a sega Uh, saturn thing that's a sega saturn thing because what i was saying with the battery a lot of people like the battery just dies and they're like whatever i'm just playing yeah you know whatever street fighter on it anyway i don't care and if the battery's dead the system doesn't have a date to check so it makes you set it every single time it's so frustrating anyway sorry yeah well i mean that that's it it's like I, I had to set the date every single time and then i assumed it was I, I i can't remember anymore there was also some other stupid setting that it kept forgetting on zelda and i i assumed it was related to the battery but i, I guess you had confirmed it was like that even on the wii u where it was like it like i don't know i can't remember because it's been so long it made you like confirm the language or, uh, or something the brightness stupid. or something yeah yeah that was so aggravating <laughs> just to start the game you had to say yes yeah no i got it it's like having to sign a yeah. uh, end user license agreement every single time you do something <laughs> yeah. or something. every single every single time you find a, a rupee for the first time you've turned on <sighs> the console we should have an episode on, on uh, twilight princess and um, i'll um, just complain all the time on games that don't trust the gamers yeah exactly or don't even like treat them like they're intelligent yeah but yeah that's that's something that i need to change but uh, i guess they like soldered the uh the, the battery. Bat- battery directly into the gamecube so it's it's a process to fix it yeah i mean that sucks but it's not the end of the world like soldering is is okay i hate it when it's like 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 a lot of say like apple stuff you look at i fix it or whatever and it's like stuff is like literally like embedded into the the structure of the device so replacing the battery for example would mean like you you need this part that is part of the outer shell and part of the insides and has the battery somewhere in it and it's like come on right 
Yeah. Yeah. At least the old uh, game consoles. The, kind of before people got too clever on this stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the fun with the modders, I guess. It's like there's people... I, th- I think they had created mods for the GameCube where it's like once you detach the battery that's there, you can replace it with this one that just like slots in so that yeah. you don't have to do it with future ones, except, you know, it's not the era where anyone cares about GameCubes anymore. So getting that mod is difficult now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Fun stuff. Yeah. Fun uh, stuff. Well, uh, I guess that's uh, that's about a wrap for today. Uh, We're almost at time. Can I share one more quick anecdote? Yeah, of course. The whole uh, getting the special screw heads to unscrew Nintendo cartridges yeah. and replace the battery and stuff. You're faced with an interesting dilemma if you collect the Japanese stuff, the Famicom cartridges. Right. Because they don't have screws on them. The plastic case snaps together. Oh. And so they have these circuit boards with batteries. And yeah. When they manufacture them, they make this plastic case that snaps over it. And your option, you're forced to break it open, which, I mean, sometimes if it breaks the wrong way, it's like from the outside broken, right? And even if it breaks, like if you break the tabs and get it open to replace the battery, now what do you do? You like glue it back and the next time it dies, you're going to have to like tear it open again. Like think about really rare RPGs or something. On the NES, you just replace the battery, whatever, you're very careful. With these, you're literally breaking the cartridge. Like it really sucks. (laughs) I'm trying to remember what it was that I opened. I feel like the DS Lite was kind of like that too. I feel like I feel like you had to have the tri-wing thing, but once those were done, you still had to like be kind of careful about prying it open. I find a lot of modern stuff. They have like a lot of like ribbon cables and stuff in them. Like if you just tear it open, you'll probably tear a bunch of cables, and so you have to yeah. very carefully like pull some stuff off. Whereas the old systems, it's like some huge like hard like some circuit board inside that's kind of just all one big piece yeah i, w- I wish i could remember exactly what it was i'm not 100 percent sure it was the ds but i can't think of anything else that i've opened up in the past two years um but yeah it, it was definitely awkward because it's like you needed something proprietary to open it up but then on top of that you still also had to be careful not to snap it while actually opening it yeah the worst uh, is when you have to open stuff up and there's like something maybe that connects the top and the bottom and you can't disconnect that. So you have to carefully yeah. hold it open in this awkward position yeah. while like unscrewing something like that always sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Cool. Well, there we go. It's time. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully none of your batteries die. Well, mean- like I said, I just repaired, repaired the uh, kitchen scale. So there you go. Good for, you're, for a little you're while. armed and ready if more batteries need replacement. Well, you know what? Maybe I should finally get around to it. I've got an Xbox controller that I don't know if I dropped it or, or what at one point, but there's definitely something that kind of rattles around. And mm-hmm. every now and then, whatever that is that rattles around will get underneath the shoulder button and then you can't press the shoulder button. Brutal. Brutal. And I had a controller it, like that. Yeah. It's been like that um, <laughs> for eight years now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a low pry uh, issue in your life, I guess. Yeah. I think I think I, I I might just finally have to open that up, see if I can do anything about it. All right. Well, good luck. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. Take care.